Hey everybody, uh, it's uh, week number two of not being able to meet together uh, at church and it's my responsibility and my opportunity uh, to preach to you today and uh, as Pastor Justin said last week, this is obviously a little awkward and a little different but we're going to go and go ahead and try to do our very best as we continue to go through the book of James. Um, and so that's kind of where I want to start today as we think about the book of James. We're going to be diving right back in where we left off. Uh, and we will be starting, um, we're going to be looking at James 3, 1 through 12 today. Uh, and as we look at that in just a moment, we're going to discuss this idea of the tongue and our words and how we speak. And we're going to be doing that. Uh, but before we get there, uh, I do want to just remind us for a few minutes about where we've been in James. And I think it's really appropriate that we've been in the book of James for these last several weeks, if not months, especially now as we face the situation we find ourselves in. Uh, many of us are being quarantined in our homes. We're not able to be together. Uh, financial difficulties are, I'm sure, becoming a problem for a lot of people, even amongst our body. And the book of James is a book about trials. It's about tests. It's about our faith. It's about how we can uh, have joy and find wisdom even in our trials. And we all as a church and as a society have found ourselves in this very unique time and place and so when we come to the book of James, it is, we need to remember that James is written to a group of believers who are going through trials, various kinds of trials, as we're told in chapter 1. And this is all of us. This isn't just for a few of us. This is all sorts of trials, all sorts of people, and we're all facing these trials today. And so we're going to continue to go through James as we think about the fact that this book was written to believers who are facing trials, specifically right now, as I already mentioned. This whole thing with the coronavirus, the COVID-19, uh, quarantine, financial impacts, all of those things are trials that we are experiencing. And I believe as we look at the book of James, we can see how we can best navigate the trial that we are facing even right now. And I say all this and understand that maybe some of you today are struggling uh, with something altogether different that has nothing to do with this virus or what's going on in our society. Maybe it's a uh, trial at home, a trial uh, with family. I don't know where you are, but any trial we face, James talks to it. And so, so far in the book of James, as we just want to do a little bit of review for you this, this evening, morning, whenever you find yourselves watching this, uh, we look at this question as we look at the book of James. How can we pass the test? How can we pass the test that God puts before us? And in verse, verses 1 through 8 of chapter 1, we saw that we do this by seeking joy and wisdom. We, we see joy and we have a mindset of contentedness, a mindset of trust. That is joy that we can find and we seek wisdom by asking God for wisdom. We're not looking to get out of the trial as much as we're getting, we're looking to see what we can get out of it. And that's exactly what we need to be looking at. So that was chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Chapter 1, verses 9 through 18, we saw that we need to pass the test by having the right perspective. This perspective is one of eternity, that we have an eternal picture in mind that God is good and therefore we can be thankful. Continuing on in James, with the end of chapter 1, uh, Pastor Justin took some time to talk to us about how we need to be listening to God's Word, but not only listening, but also we should be obeying God's Word. See, what we hear and what we do should match up. They should be the same. In chapter 2, at the beginning, from verses 1 to 13, we looked at the idea that we need to love others around us without partiality. That's a way that we can pass the test, that we would love others without partiality. Just like God is not partial, we should not be either. 
And finally, uh, last week, if you were able to watch our video, as, as Pastor Justin shared with us, we do pass the test of the trial that we face by showing our faith through our actions. Again, just as we talked about uh, in chapter 1, what we hear and what we do should match up. It's also true that what we say and what we do should also match up. And all in all, as we've looked at all these different passages, there has been a theme that's developed beyond just the idea of how do we get through trials and how do we pass the test. Another thing that we've talked about many times is this idea of being double-minded. This idea that we think one way and act another, or we say one way, one thing, and we do another. And this idea of being double-minded, two-souled, or having uh, this hypocritical type of view of our lives. And that's not a way that we can really pass the test that God has before us. Being two-faced or two-souled, uh, double-minded, is not really true faith. And that's going to even show up today as we talk about the tongue. And in just a moment, we're going to read our passage for today. And as we read this passage, we are going to be introduced to this idea of the tongue. We're going to be talking about how it's used and what danger it holds. And keep in mind, we're not just talking about the physical organ. Uh, we're also talking really about our words and how we speak. And so I'm going to go ahead and read chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. If you would join me in reading, hopefully you have your Bibles or some other way of reading along. Uh, and as we do that, just listen to what God's Word has to say about how we use our tongue and how we use our words. Uh, so let's just go ahead and read from James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that when we teach, we will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire! And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be found, or I'm sorry, can be tamed and be, be tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So that's the passage that we're going to be looking at today. And I want to say out of this passage, I believe our main idea that we can see coming out here is that our tongues need taming even in the midst of trials. And I would say our tongues need taming all the time, but it specifically is true as we think about the trials that we face in our lives. And so I started thinking about this idea of our words and specifically about the idea of the tongue. And uh, I asked my wife if I could share this story, so she shouldn't be mad at me. Uh, but my wife had a real problem when she was a young girl, and her problem was this. She really liked to stick her tongue out at her parents. 
This was, uh, it was something that I've heard stories about from both my in-laws as well as Felicia herself. And I was even talking about it today and how uh, she got herself in some, a lot of trouble because she wasn't always as wise as she should be about how she used that, that, her tongue. And specifically, if she was upset with her father, uh, that she would find a way when he, she thought he wasn't looking and she would stick her tongue out and be disrespectful. And that was her way of kind of getting back at him. Well, she told me a couple times she didn't realize that there was a window he could see through or a mirror that he was looking at, and she was busted. Uh, but I thought about that, and the thing is, kids are like that. Our, my, my kids have done it. I think maybe if you've had kids, you've seen them do it, and they stick their tongues out. It's a disrespectful motion. It's something that can make people really angry, and it probably should. But here's what I think about that is, is the kids will stick their tongue out at somebody because they're upset or they're wanting to show that they're angry. The physical part of sticking their tongue out isn't done out of any other reason for than to show what's on the inside. It's kind of interesting. That's the outward way that they show what's going on in their hearts, uh, the outward way that they're showing how they're feeling about their parents. And uh, it doesn't usually end well for those kids who will do that, and yet so many still try to do it. Uh, maybe if you're an adult and you still do it, hey, that's you, I don't know. But I, uh, I don't. But I do believe that even as adults, the tongue functions in the same way it does for a child. Just like with the child, as they stick out their tongue, it's kind of showing what's going on inside. I think the way we use our tongues and the way we speak does the exact same thing. And that's what James says here in this passage as well. And so our main idea is this, that our tongues need taming, even in the trials of life. And this isn't the first time James has brought up the tongue. If you will remember, uh, back in James one nineteen, and even in James one twenty seven, uh, James talks about words, talks about uh, that we need to bridle our tongue. He talks about that we need to be um, quick to hear, slow to speak. And those are things that we've already talked about in the book of James. And it's very true, as Pastor Justin told us, that these things, uh, when we're talking about how we use our mouths and how we use our tongues in the earlier parts of James, is a lot about how we speak to and about God. But I believe today James takes it a little bit broader. And it's not just about how we speak about or to God, but it's also how we speak to one another. It's how we speak to ourselves, in a sense. It's how we speak to the world around us. And so that's what James is getting at here in the verses we just read. And so let's just break it down and look at a few different sections. Uh, Verses 1 through 5, I believe James tells us about the power of the tongue. The power of the tongue. And it's incredible as we think about how powerful our words and what we say really can be. And that's what James starts talking about right here in chapter 3. He starts off by talking about this idea of becoming teachers. And at first glance, you might think, okay, so this passage isn't for everyone. This is just for pastors, it's for those who are Sunday school teachers, it's for those who are teaching God's word. And there's no doubt that James most likely is referring primarily to this group at this point, but it also goes to remind us uh, that teachers, in a sense, we're all teachers. And what I mean by that is we all have influence. You see, our words have great influence. Whether or not you're teaching a Sunday school class or preaching a sermon, maybe uh, is a parent you're teaching your kids Uh, Maybe you're teaching someone who's looking up to you. At times, you're even having influence over people you might not even realize that you're teaching. And so I think all of us need to understand that what's about to be said and what continues to be said, even about teachers, can be said about any of us as we use our words. 
And so our words do have great influence. And that's why being a teacher, as James talks about, is to be taken very seriously. He says, don't, not many of you should become teachers. This isn't James trying to say, uh, we need less teachers. Stop trying to teach. Uh, James is just trying to get to the point and being very clear that being a teacher is something that should be taken seriously. Later on, it says that they will be judged with greater strictness. If you're going to take the responsibility on of officially teaching somebody, and as I said earlier, even any sense in which we have influence over people, we need to be very careful and we need to take it seriously. See, in that culture, if you were a teacher or a rabbi, it was really seen as a badge of honor. It was a way that you could set yourself apart from others. It was a place of honor and prestige. Many times it was desired for the wrong reasons, not to serve others, not to love others, but instead to give some kind of honor or some kind of prestige to yourself. And James is saying, this isn't, the, this isn't how you should use your, your influence. This isn't how you should use your teaching. Be very careful and take it very seriously. I'll put it this way, as James talks about this idea for teachers and how they teach and what this has to do with our tongues. Well, teachers use a lot of words. We do teach by the way we live, but we also teach by the way we speak. And James wants it to be very clear that we need to be very careful on how we speak, especially if we're going to be teaching or influencing others. And so what James is kind of saying, and I'll put it in a, in a maybe a popular quote that was made by, I think it was the Spider-Man movie, but with great power comes great responsibility. And that's kind of what we're getting here, is that our words and the power of teaching or the authority that we find in teaching or the place that we find to teach others needs to be taken seriously and we need to be responsible for how we use our words. And so James starts off by talking with teachers, but then I think even in verse 2 we start to see that he transitions from just teachers to all of us when he says we all stumble in many ways and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. James will talk about this, uh, and uh, it, what we see here is our words will not just influence others, but it'll also influence us. Um, since we all sin, we all stumble, as James just said, uh, then it's clear to say that as we all stumble, as we all sin, especially in our words, our whole life is impacted. As we, and he, then he goes on to say, if you don't stumble in your words, if you don't sin in your words and how you speak, then you become a perfect man. Now, many times this word perfect can be translated a lot of different ways. And there are some different commentators, even in this passage, that try to figure out exactly what this word means. But most people would, would come to the place where this idea of being perfect isn't necessarily that uh, we can, it doesn't necessarily have the long view in mind of someday being perfect as we are in heaven with Christ. But this is the idea of being mature and complete. James has talked about being mature earlier on in chapter 1, and I believe this is where we're talking. He says, if you want to be a mature, complete, uh, faithful follower of Jesus, then you will control what you say. You will control your tongue. And if you can do that, then the rest of you will follow. Now, that's insane to think about, but that's exactly what James is saying, and it's so true. The way we speak will be the way we live. They aren't to be two separate things, but they're to be joined together. And so James says very clearly that if you're able to bridle your tongue, you're also able to bridle your whole body. In just a minute, as we get to the end of this passage, we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about words. And we're going to come back to this idea because it's going to be very clear that what our words say is more about who we are and what we're feeling and what we know more than just what comes out of our mouth. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. 
As we think about how our, our tongue, our words, can kind of control the way we live, uh, the next point uh, of this part and the power of the tongue is that we see James starts talking about how our tongue, our words, will steer our lives. Will steer our lives. They'll, it'll take us one way or the other. And he uses two really cool examples, uh, built-in illustrations, if you will. Uh, first of all, he talks about a horse. Talks about a horse that has a bit in their mouth, and and so the rider then is able to control the horse and tell it which way it wants to go with just a pull on the on the bridle. And as you do that, as you pull, they're able to move. and And the idea is, is the power in that little piece that goes into their mouth can control which direction the horse goes. I've only ridden a horse a few times, but I can tell you this: they're powerful animals, and you don't want to be on a horse when it goes wild. Uh, maybe you've seen that happen before. It's not a good situation. And I would say, as we think about horses and we ride a horse, that powerful animal that is underneath us that could go any direction is being controlled by its rider through the bit and the bridle. And so uh, that's an interesting word picture. And then he goes on and talks about a ship. He talks about uh, a boat, a big boat that's on the ocean and it turns. And now if you, I don't know much about shipping. I don't know much about boats, but I do know in order to turn it, you have this little rudder on the back that will go one way or the other. And as it does, it will decide which way the ship goes. James talks about here that there are, they are guided uh, by, dri- they're driven by strong winds and they are very large. But then it says, but they are guided by a very small rudder where the will of the pilot directs. And so James talks about this idea, the boat is able to be moved by this rudder. And the idea between the horse and the ship is that the way we use our words, the way we use our tongues, it'll actually steer our lives. Like a bit in horses' mouths, a large animal is told where to go. Like a rudder on a ship, the ship turns where it should go. And this can be for a good thing or a bad direction. It can either take the ship into land or into safety. It can take a horse on the path or off the path. And so either way, these controlling things happen. And the same thing is true with our words. It can drive us one way or the other, either the right way or the wrong way. They have, our words have tremendous power. And that's what James is trying to get to. I, I, just a real personal example of this. I don't know much about big ships, but if any of you have been on our rafting trips, which we're not going to be able to go on this year, which is a really just big disappointment to me. But with that being said, we've been on many trips. And a lot of times I find myself, myself in the back of the boat. Uh, and I've realized over several years of rafting that where I put the oar on which side of the, the boat will determine how we turn. And there's been many times, I've just watched a video this week remembering what happened a few years ago, where if you're not steering right, your raft can start spinning out of control and you end up running into all sorts of things. Uh, Stephen Lasnick, who's actually taping this for us, so thank you, Stephen, uh, once fell out of the raft because they didn't have control over the boat. And that's how bad things can get. But it also remembering then that our words direct how we go and what direction we go and can also bring destruction, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Finally, in these uh, two illustrations, as well as the next illustration that James use, uses, he talks about how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Uh, and so he's talked about the bid, he's talked about the, the rudder, and now he talks about this small fire or this spark that starts a big fire. And the thing that we will see is that our words have power in the fact that they will be magnified. Our words will always be magnified. 
We may think that our words are small and they don't really matter and they're not a big deal, but the things we say matter a whole lot, not only to ourselves, but to others and to God himself. If you think about the rudder, it's small. It's like one-tenth of a percent of the size of a ship. Uh, the bit is so small, a tiny piece in the mouth of a horse, a small spark that can start a forest fire. The idea here is it might be small. The tongue might seem small. The words we say might not seem to be that big of a deal. But James is very clear, though, that they can spread, uh, that it's much bigger than what we think. Just a tiny spark can set a whole forest on fire, so the words we say can also spread very quickly. Even a word that's shared between one or two other people it can spread very quickly. That's as often talked about with gossip, and that's true, but I think any time we use our words in an unwise way, they spread. I thought of another illustration that obviously James doesn't use here, but as we think about the forest fire and we think about a small spark lighting it up, just think about the situation we find ourselves in right now. Uh, the world has been turned upside down by something that size-wise is tiny, a little virus that you can only see with a microscope, but a virus that can only be seen with a microscope that is so small that may seem to the naked eye to be so insignificant has now caused not only sickness and death across the world, but also just has caused great upheaval. It's caused great fear. So a small thing can spread very quickly, and a small thing can be very big, even if it starts small. And so we need to understand that our words have power as we influence others, as it steers our lives, and as it will be magnified. So that's the first point that we see this morning as we look at James chapter 3. The second point today uh, is uh, not only the power of the tongue, but now we've got to talk about the poison of the tongue. You see, James starts by kind of saying, even though we're seeing some foreshadowing here, that the tongue can be used for good or evil, uh, that the tongue has a lot of power. But now James goes right into it and says, but listen, because we're fallen humans and we are living in a world of sin, our tongues don't go to the good side. They don't get steered the right way. They're steered the wrong way. And he starts talking about the poison of the tongue. And he specifically even calls it poison here uh, in verse 8, that it's full of deadly poison. But a couple things that we can think about as we think about the danger of the tongue, the, the poison of our words. And we see that our words are destructive. Our words are easily destructive. We just talked about a wildfire or a virus. It destroys everything in its path and it's uncontrollable. That's what we think of as we think about a fire. Maybe you were watching the news as Australia had these wildfires that were raging for days and days and weeks and destroyed much of their country. It was out of control and it all started with small fires, but it grew into this nationwide problem. The virus, as I already said, has spread throughout the world. It might seem small, but it turns into something so big and something that is so destructive. And James says that just like a fire destroys the, the forest, destroys the houses around the forest, it will dis- our, our words can destroy as well. And it's important that we understand that. He says here in this passage, as he talks about, he says the tongue is set among the members. It's staining the whole body. It calls, he first of all calls the tongue a fire. And it says it stains the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. James is very clear that what we say, it's going to destroy every part of life, not just a small part here and there, but as our words will destroy our lives. And maybe 
uh, it'll destroy the lives of others. And maybe you've seen this in your life. Maybe you've experienced a time where words have destroyed parts of your life or maybe just really controlled your life. Or maybe times that you've said things to people that have destroyed others. And maybe you've had times like that and you know this to be true. But James says, look, this, this fire of the tongue, the fire of our words is going to destroy. And so that's why we need to take it so seriously and be so careful with how we use our words. Our words can destroy our whole lives and the lives of others. And so that's the first way. It's a poison. It's destructive. The next way is our words are totally depraved. Now, we don't use the word depraved too often, but in theological circles, totally depraved means that there is no good within us that we can reach God. Uh, There's a longer definition we could talk about, but the idea is, is when we're total depraved, our sin has overtaken our body and our soul and ourselves so much that we have no good within ourselves. And the same is true of our words as it is true of our life. We see that we are totally depraved. There is no good to be found in and of itself. James says here that our tongue is set on fire by hell. This is not just exaggeration. This is James making it very clear that the way we speak, the destructive way we speak is from hell itself. It's evil. And so we need to remember that, that our words are totally depraved. Our sinful nature makes it so that what we say is going to be evil. And then he goes on and talks about this idea as we think about it being totally depraved. He almost says there's no hope because he says there's animals. They can be tamed by mankind. And maybe you've seen that in a zoo. You know that animals can be tamed. But he says, but no human being in verse 8 can tame the tongue. It's uncontrollable. It's untamable. It's depraved and there's no hope that we can do anything about it. Just like there's no hope that we can save ourselves as God has to reach in to save us through the gospel. We can't, our words cannot be tamed by ourselves. And we'll talk more about that at the end of our time together. And finally, as we think about the poison of the tongue, James talks about how our words are deadly. Uh, Just like poison, our words naturally bring death to us and others. He talks about this. He says, it is a restless evil Back to the idea of total depravity. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. This is not just a little bit of poison that's just going to make us sick. This is full of deadly poison that will kill. And the truth of the matter is, our words can do the same thing that poison does physically. We, our words can do the same thing to our own lives, the lives of others. They can be deadly. Again, why we need to be so careful about how we use our tongue especially even in the time of trial. I want to read one, one passage as we talk about the tongue here and the total depravity of mankind. Maybe many of you know this passage. You've probably heard it before, but I want to go to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 3. And I know if you've been in our ABF class, you would have heard Pastor Justin preach and, or speak on this. But Romans chapter 3, I just want to start by reading in verse 10 and read through verse 14 and read what Paul has to say as he Uh, quotes other scriptures, but this is what he says in Romans 3.10. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. 
Paul says the same thing that James is saying. He's talking about the fact that not only are we totally depraved, we, there is none righteous, there is none good. He talks about our throat being an open grave, tongues that deceive, venom of asps that are under their lips. He's talking about a mouth that is full of curses and bitterness. And so we see that total depravity, our sinful nature is going to come out in the way we speak. James says it, Paul says it, and we're going to continue to think this through as we continue on in James chapter 3. The final point today that I want to talk about is uh, we've talked about the power of the tongue, the poison of the tongue, and now I want to talk about what I call the produce of the tongue. You could say product or produce, but uh, the idea of a produce item is something that is grown. And the thing is, what comes out of our mouth is often grown from something else. There's a root that comes out and is then gives produce, gives our tongue speaks out of what comes out of our roots, or in this sense, in a moment, we'll see out of our hearts. So James says in verses 9 through 12, as he's looking at this, he says, first of all, that with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And then he says, and with it, we curse people. So we see that the produce of the tongue, one thing that can come out of our words is blessing. So our words can be used to bless. This word here really could be translated, give praise. And James is saying our mouths are used to praise God for his goodness, to praise God and and to bring praise to our lips. And that's a good way that we can use our, our tongue, our words, obviously, to praise God. And I would even say to speak truth to others is another way of praising and blessing God. And so we can use it that way. The produce can be good. But then he turns around and says, but with it, We also curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And James says, not only can we use our tongues to bless, but we can also use them to curse. Now, this word could be meaning that we're cursing, bringing a curse down from God. But I believe as James continues to write, even in chapter 3 and chapter 4, we're going to see that he's starting to talk about the sins of our mouth, the words that we say that can hurt others, that can be painful and hurtful, things that we can do to curse others, such as gossip, Uh, blasphemy, uh, using God's name in vain, Uh, lying, slander, harsh criticism, flattery, innuendo, unkind words, vulgarity. You could keep on going on and on. The way we use our words can be used to curse people. And that is one of the ways that the produce of what's going on underneath the surface can come out in a way to curse others. And, And James says we can do both. We can bless God and we can curse others. And really what we see is that we sin against other human beings made in the image of God through what we say. That's one of the most powerful things that James says here. As he talks about cursing others, he says, with it we bless our Lord. But then he says, we, then we come and we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. James says very clearly here that this is wrong. In just a moment, he's going to say it is not right to both bless God and to curse people. I think that's common sense. And the common sense idea here and the rhetorical idea is definitely that cursing people is never okay. This is a sinful way to destroy people. This is sin and this isn't faith. And so uh, he starts to talk about what this looks like and he says it's not right to do both. And I would say this, going back to our theme of being double-minded. When we bless on one side and curse on the other, we are living a double-souled life, a double-minded life a two-faced life. That's how we're living. And James says this shouldn't be how it is. 
But yet we continue, even as Christians, we continue to use our words in ways to curse others. And you might be sitting here today and thinking, well, I don't think I've really said many hurtful things to people. And maybe you haven't. But I would venture to say to all of us at some point or another, whether it's with someone close to us or someone not close to us, we've said things that are hurtful and sinful. And as I think about that, uh, and James talks about the image of God is in every person. We don't have the right to, to judge or to say negative things, to, to sin against people just because of whatever reason we want to make up. No matter who they are, they are made in the image of God. God created them. He made them special. And we look at them, and whether that's a baby or whether it's a, a, an older elderly adult, it doesn't matter. We see that God has made all people in the image of God doesn't matter the ethnicity that they might hold. It doesn't matter what their lifestyle looks like. They're all people made in the image of God. And so we should treat others in that respect. We should not curse others. If we're going to bless God, if we're going to praise Him, we should also bless Him in the way we speak to others. And that's kind of what James is getting at. You can't praise on one side and curse on the other. All of our words need to be those of blessing and praise. Even the worst of mankind is still a creation of God and is still valued by him and they should be valued by us. I just want to take a few minutes to talk about this and this isn't necessarily all that we're going to talk about today. There's a lot more to get to and I want to get there. But I want to just take a minute to talk about this idea of how we treat others and how we speak about others and that all people are in the image of God. See, this includes people, all people. And I'm just going to say a couple things because I've seen it happen. Republicans... Democrats, they are made in the image of God. Democrats, Republicans are made in the image of God. Uh, People who uh, are homosexuals are still made in the image of God. Even murderers are still made in the image of God. In today's specific society, people who might be overreacting to the coronavirus, they're still made in the image of God. And on the other side, people who might be underreacting to the coronavirus they're still made in the image of God. And here's the big thing. Even people you don't like are made in the image of God. And I say this as a struggle for myself. If I, have, if I disagree with somebody or if I dislike somebody, it's very easy for me to say things that I shouldn't say, whether behind their back or to their face. But the other piece I want to talk about just for a moment is because you might be saying, okay, that makes sense, but I don't really talk to people that way. I've, I'm an observer of people, I, I, and I'm an observer of myself. And as I think about that, as I think about how I'm an observer, one thing that I observe a lot is this idea that it's not just about the words we say out loud, but it's also about the words we might type. And what I mean by that is social media. Uh, I know this is kind of a rabbit trail, but I, I just feel like we need to take it. As we talk about how to use our tongue and how to speak to one another, I'm afraid that a lot of us might not say a lot of things to people, but when it comes to what we can put on a screen, on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or wherever it might be, that somehow all of a sudden when we're putting it into a computer, it doesn't go through the same filter that it goes through when we think about what we're going to say to somebody else. And all the people that I just mentioned, there's a reason I mentioned those groups of people. Because unfortunately, you can go on social media today and there are fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that are saying things that are disparaging and rude, condescending, sinful, gossip, um, harsh criticism that is being placed on these different groups of people that we would never say these things to people to their face, but because we have a screen to hide behind, we can say whatever we want. 
Can I just say that this is a something that as Christians we need to be very careful about. We need to make sure that our lives and our social media presence is one of positivity. It's one of blessing God and blessing others and not one of negativity that wants to bring up all the negatives that we can to try to make ourselves feel better or to find other people who agree with us so that we can rant and rave about things that we feel strongly about. I'm not saying we don't stand up for what is right. Of course we do. But I just think that we should be more careful, more considerate as we even go on to our computers and type things into social media accounts. Because a lot of people are going to see that. And when they see that, they're going to either see beneficial blessing or they're going to see cursing. And, we, and then one post we have, we post a Bible verse. The next post, we post about how we can't stand a certain group of people. And that's going to set this idea that we are double-minded, that we are two-faced. And we're hypocrites to the world. And so just as a rabbit trail, I just want to say, as we talk about the tongue, let's not just say... We're only talking about what we say out loud, but it also includes what we might say behind the scenes, what we might say that nobody else hears except the closest people around us, or what we might type into a computer. I'm going to move on because I could talk about this all day. But it's not just about what we say, but no matter how we look at this, we cannot bless God and curse others. That shouldn't be how things are. Finally, as we talk about the produce of the tongue, we look at the fact that our words are the produce of our hearts. I've talked about it several times, but what we say is not just about the words we say, but what we say points to what's going on inside. It points to what we really feel and think about God in our hearts. Just like the child sticks out their tongue to show their anger or their disrespect, what we say will show what's going on inside of us. And so we look at this last passage that James talks about, and he says um, the, this idea of a spring pouring forth a fresh and salt water, and then a fig tree that bears olives, or a grapevine that bears figs. And then it says, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And this is kind of where James ends for now, and next week we're going to look at how wisdom plays into our words and how they relate to one another. But what he's saying here is he's talking about the fact that a product, whether it's water, olives, figs, name whatever you want to name, always is the reflection of the source. You will not get a fruit from something that is different from what the source is. So therefore, the type of tree you have is the type of fruit you'll get. The type of well or spring you have is the type of water you'll get. And the true is the same as true of us. What we say is a reflection and an indicator of what, or in this case, who our source is. If we are continually speaking curses and we are continually using our tongue in sinful ways, then our heart is in a place where it is not listening to the source of Jesus, but to the source of our flesh and our desire. And so when we do that, uh, it can't be done. That's what James is saying. And, but he's also saying that look, whatever's coming out is something that is within. And it's not just James that says this. J- Jesus says the exact same thing. If you've been following in our James series, you know that many things that James says are also Uh, spoken and reflected in the book of Matthew as we look at the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. And the same is true of this concept. So I want to go to the book of Matthew, and we're going to look at what Jesus had to say about this very issue. And we get there, and we're going to start by looking at Matthew 7.16. Matthew 7.16 says very clearly, says this, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? 
So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus is talking about false teachers here, but the the idea of the produce of what's coming from within, coming without, is there. But then Jesus talks about it later on in Matthew, no longer in the Sermon of the Mount, but in another place. He talks in Matthew chapter 12, and he says it even more specifically as he talks about words. So he's using this idea of what is inside comes out. And then in Matthew 12, looking at verse 33, in Matthew 12, 33, this is what Jesus says. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, he's talking to the Pharisees here, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. This is the point that Jesus is making. Going back to that verse right in the middle, verse 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And many of you know this verse, but Jesus gets right to the heart of the issue, and so does James. The idea of what James is recalling, what Jesus spoke, is that what we say is a result of what's inside our hearts. It's a result of what our source is, and in our case, who our source is. And so these are the things that we remember about the tongue. We remember that it has great power, and so we need to be accountable and take responsibility for that. It can be used as great poison. In most cases, that's exactly how the tongue is used. And then finally, that the produce of our tongues is based upon what's going on within and based on our heart, and that we can't produce and say that we're blessing God and that we're a follower of Jesus, while at the same time, what we say is the exact opposite. Those things should not be true, as James says. So let's just conclude this, this evening or morning, whenever you find yourselves watching this. How can our tongues be tamed? That's the question that, I need, that we need to answer. How can our tongues be tamed? Really, the question is this. How do our words turn from bad, that they are naturally, to good and to be beneficial? How do we turn that? How do we tame our tongues so that that can happen? Here's... The bad news, good news of the situation. Going back to verse 8 in James chapter 3, James is very clear about how we, should, how we can tame the tongue. What we can do to tame our tongue, he's very clear about. He says it as clear as you possibly can back in James chapter 3. And as he says this, it's interesting because it's really bad news. James chapter 3, again in verse 8, this is what he says. No human being can tame the tongue. So we have no hope. We could just leave the sermon here and walk away and say, okay, so our tongues are bad, but we have no hope, so what does it matter? But that's not where this ends. It is true, and it is bad news, that no man can tame the tongue. You can't tame the tongue. I can't tame the tongue. None of us can tame our tongues. We're not going to be able to figure out how to do this in our own strength. No amount of uh, practice, no amount of even taking a vow of silence, all of that stuff is going to fall short. James says the tongue cannot be tamed by a human being, and that is bad news. But if we go back in James, back in chapter 3, remember when he talked about the ship. Remember when he talked about the horse. There's something specific that he said there that we kind of skipped over. A horse has a rider, and a ship has a pilot. 
And as we think about that, we think about the fact that there is someone who can control our tongues, just like the rider is the one who controls the bit and the horse, and the pilot is the one who controls the rudder that controls the ship. There is a pilot, there is a rider, even as we talk about animals being tamed, there is a trainer that can tame animals. So we have a trainer, we have a pilot, we have a rider, and that person is Jesus Christ. That person is God himself, and he can help us control our tongues. We can't do it on ourselves by ourselves. We can't tame it, but he can. Control must come from an outside source, just like I just talked about, and this is God himself. So then, to have our tongue tamed, we must rely on God's grace, the grace that he pours upon us who are bad, and we deserve all bad, but yet he gives us good. And we must rely on his grace And just a couple of things that I thought about as we think about how we can go about doing this. How can we rely on His grace? It's easy to say, but how do we do it? And I would say this, we need to be humbled. In Isaiah chapter 6, and just for time's sake, I'm not going to go to the passage to read it. But in Isaiah chapter 6, I would encourage you to read verses 1 through 7 on your own. This is when Isaiah comes before the throne of God. And his first reaction is to fall to the ground and say, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. The first thing that Isaiah realizes about himself is that he can't stand in the presence of God. And part of the reason is because he has unclean lips, that he can't speak well, that he is sinful through and through. And Isaiah realized that. And then uh, a coal is brought from the altar and placed on his lips that then cleanses his lips and, and shows him that he's been forgiven of his sins. And then Isaiah goes on and is a spokesperson for God. But what I want us to get out of that passage is that Isaiah had a moment where he was humbled beyond anything that maybe any of us have ever been humbled. He saw the face of God and fell to the ground, realizing and saying, woe is me, that he had no hope in front of God. And so he, we see that and we know that if we are to have our tongue tamed, it's only got to be through God's work through us being humbled enough to say, I can't do it on myself, by myself, but God, you can do it. And hopefully we would have the same heart as Isaiah does, and then we can use our words for good because we've been cleansed, we've been purified by God who we desperately need to, to save us and to cleanse our tongues. The next thing is that we, we must rely on the Holy Spirit. We must rely on the Holy Spirit. I want to read you a passage really quickly from the book of Mark. And as I read this passage, we're going to see that Jesus is talking here and he's talking about the end times and he's talking about if people are going to be brought before authorities and they're going to be persecuted for their faith, how they can look to God and how they can look to the Holy Spirit. But as we look at Mark chapter 13, verse 11, Mark 13, 11 says this, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now this is a phenomenal thought, that when somebody gets arrested and being tried, that they don't need to worry about how to defend themselves because they can rely on the Holy Spirit to speak for them and through them because we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit and he is within us as believers and so he can give us, give us words to say. And I would say the same is true of any situation, that if we rely on the Holy Spirit to let him change the way we speak, not try to do it on our own strength, but really trust him and pray and ask for help, that the Holy Spirit will help us, not only during trials, but all the time. 
Now you may say, but this is out of context. This is talking about if we're going to a trial, a real trial, a physical trial. And I'd say that's true. In context, you're right. But I believe it can go much broader. I found a quote this week from John Piper who says the similar thing. And this is what he says about this verse. He says, Jesus' promise that the Holy Spirit will teach us what we ought to say is not meant to free us from anxiety in only one kind of trial and then leave us to ourselves in another. The promise is that the Holy Spirit will help us in the most frightening settings. And so how much more we may depend on him in even the less threatening situations. I agree with John Piper here. I I believe that the Holy Spirit will help us to say the right things when we need to say them. And we need to trust him and pray that he'll help us in this matter. And finally, the last thing we can do to uh, embrace God's grace as we try to let him tame our tongue is that we must know God's word. Many of you know Psalm 119.11. I have hidden his word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. That's David talking to God. And the same is true for us. Remember, if our words are really coming out from what's in our heart, then if we fill our hearts with God's word, then that's what's going to come out of our mouths. And so that's another way we rely on him to help tame the tongue. That he can tame our tongue as we pray, as we are humbled, and as we know God's word. We study it. We remember it. We memorize it. We read it. We listen to it. We speak it to one another. And as we have that word in our hearts, it'll come out in the way we speak. And so therefore, we can see that our tongue can be tamed. There is hope. There is good news. Even though no human being can tame it, God can. And so we trust him by humbling ourselves, by relying on his spirit, and by knowing his word. As we close today, I just want to bring us all the way back around. Maybe you're someone who you know you struggle with your words, and maybe you're a believer. Maybe you know Jesus. You, you have come to the place where you have placed your faith and your hope and your life in the hands of Jesus. But yet you still find yourself saying things that you know you shouldn't, or typing things you know you shouldn't, or just whatever it might be. I just want to say, it's not too late. Repent and humble yourself. Ask for humility. Ask for God's grace to help you in what you say. I'll be very transparent and say that this is, an, this is a, a struggle of mine. That I'm very quick to say things that are very sinful and cutting down others, usually in the privacy of my own home, but doesn't make it any better. And so God has had to work on that in my heart this week. And I hope that God will work on your heart as well. But maybe you don't know Jesus. And so your mouth and your words that you use are destructive. They're destroying your life. They're destroying the lives of others. You're never going to get out of that destruction without Jesus. And so the truth of the matter is that the real way to tame the tongue is to believe and to know the gospel, whether you're a Christian or not. And so Jesus is very clear throughout all of Scripture what Jesus is to us and what the gospel is. He came to live a perfect life, including speaking no sin, but only speaking love and goodness and edification to others. He lived that life, and then he died for us, knowing that we couldn't live that life, but that he lived it for us. And then he died on the cross. He gave his life for us. And he said, all of your sin, whether from your mouth or any other sin that you commit, I have forgiven by dying on the cross and taking your penalty, that I have uh, substituted myself for your benefit so that you will have eternal life that starts now and will last forever. 
so that your words can be pure, not because of anything you've done, but because what have I have done. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus died for our sins, and then he rose again, and this is so beautiful, and we're going to celebrate this in a couple of weeks. But Jesus didn't just stay dead, but he rose again to show, you know what, there is hope. No matter what your sin, no matter what your situation, no matter what your words that you're using, no matter where you find yourselves, there is hope because Jesus has risen again and he has given new life to anyone who receives him. And so now that he's died and he's rose again, he's waiting for us in heaven. He will one day return for his children, for his people. And if you don't know Jesus as your savior, if you haven't, you don't have any relationship with him, you haven't come to understand the mercy and grace and love of Jesus, then make today the day you do that. Find someone who knows Jesus. Ask them how you can know him too. And it'll be a great start in your journey and knowing Jesus and then watching him change your life. You're not gonna turn around necessarily and have all your words be cleaned up or all your sins be taken away. But what I will say is this, is that Jesus will help you as you grow closer and closer to becoming more and more like him. And so today, if you're watching this video, maybe you don't normally attend a church, maybe you do, If you're watching this video, I would plead with you, look to Jesus, ask him for salvation, ask him to help you, give you grace, give you mercy. We are all sinners. We all deserve hell, but he gives eternal life and you can trust him for that just as much as we can trust him for our words. Next week, we'll continue on in the book of James and we'll look at, we'll start in chapter three and we'll look at starting in verse 13 and we'll look at what wisdom looks like in the face of trials as well. But with all that in mind, if you would join me as we close in a word of prayer, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful truth that you've given us in your word. I thank you for this reminder of our tongues and how powerful they can be. God, this reminder of how bad our our words can really be and how they can destroy others because of our sinful nature. But yet there is hope. There is hope because you can tame our tongues. You can bring us to a place that we speak good and we speak blessing and we no longer speak cursing. God, help us to trust you. Help our heart to trust you. And as our heart trusts you, our words would reflect that. Lord, I pray for anyone watching this video. I pray that if they don't know Jesus, that they would find someone, go online, email the church, call us, whatever is needed, to know that they know Jesus as their Savior, that they know you as their uh, Savior that'll save them from sin, that'll give them hope, that'll give them uh, every, every blessing they can imagine, even in the hard times of life, even in the trials, even though times won't always be easy, but yet you will be there with them and you will be there to see them through. So God, help each and every person to just commit themselves to you, to trust in you and to trust in you alone. Help none of us to be double-minded, to seek uh, relief in any other way, but other than trust in you. Help us to do that today. We thank you for your word and we pray that it would go forth and it would change the hearts and minds of all of us. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.